on the Riabu podcast. Today, we're tackling the issue of sales versus finance. Now, if you're like most companies, large or small, the people who are actually going out and selling your products and services are not necessarily the ones who are actually writing the invoice. And it's this difference between the two roles, which is often part of the root cause for why you're having trouble collecting on your invoices. Salespeople want to sell. Chasing payment is probably far lower down the, the rank of priorities. And as a result, the problem with collections starts right there. Simon Littlewood and I are going to walk you through how to address this issue and how to make sure, Simon, that you know your salespeople are still not likely to do all the nitty-gritty in the, in the finance department, but they should have some idea of what's going on, right? Yes, and, and very often they don't uh, because they don't come from that background. Uh, they've made a very good living and are very good at going to the customer, cutting to the chase and getting that next order, which is fine, except that to be a consumer professional in the area of selling you need to have a broader capability. And specifically, you need to be able to talk with the customer about things like prompt payment of invoices, about things like you know when service and other issues have occurred and how they can be resolved and those sorts of things. In order for any of that to work, a couple of conditions need to be met. Um, first of all, your sales team as a whole need to be conceptually engaged with the issue of profit. By profit, I mean not just top line, that is the value of the invoice that they've created as a result of their sale, but what the actual profit impact of that is in margin. Because there's a, there's a first of all, there's a margin element to this. Many salespeople will, if they're very good, be able to get better margins than others. So the first thing is understanding that. The second thing is understanding, so pricing and margin. The second thing is understanding the impact of working capital, that is prompt or late payment, on the overall profitability of the transaction and the profit of, and the profitability of the company. So being able to understand that the balance sheet is not something that's just made up by the chief financial officer to annoy salespeople, which, which believe me is a pretty common perception. You know, it's not uncommon to think, well, look, I got the sale. Okay, they're paying two months later than they were supposed to, but why does that matter when we get the money, don't we? Well, the answer is it matters a lot because what causes most companies to go out of business is that they run out of cash. And one of the main reasons they run out of cash is because they don't put enough emphasis on ensuring that they get paid on time. So if you're going to get paid on time, you need to have a sales force who understand why it actually matters whether or not you get paid on time. Not only is there, is there an implied interest charge if you have to fund that working capital, a weighted average cost of capital, some people would call it, which is often as high as 8 or 10%, even if general interest rates are lower. So there's actual, actual cost to the profitability of the company. And second, there are, there are considerable other costs you know, if you get paid late, um, understanding what they are. So iterating around the transaction, correcting errors, all those sorts of things. So train the sales force to understand the importance of working capital, because once they've done that and they understand the financial impact of working capital, you can then have a legitimate conversation about how their accounts behave with regard to working capital can be included in their variable remuneration. In other words, Two things. It's perfectly reasonable to give a measure of incentive to a salesman based on whether his customers do or do not pay on time. It's not wise to do that if you haven't first ensured that your sales team understand why it actually matters. Because if you don't, there's a sense of, well, I'm being punished and I don't really understand why. 
And there's another reason why you want to do it that way, because it's only when the need is understood and the curiosity has been provoked that you can have practical discussions, which is the next step. So the second step in your sales training, the first step being the conceptual discussion of why, how profit is calculated and why working capital matters, is the practical side of things, which is how can I have conversations with customers about payment terms for new customers, about late payments and resolving discrepancies in such a way that it does not become toxic or adversarial. And that requires that you learn language, you look at situations, you do role plays, all these kinds of things so that the team grows together in its understanding of how to deal with specific customer objections and situations and how to handle them in a positive way. The good news is, if this sounds like a bit of an unpleasant prescription, is that at the end of the day, the salesmen are going to feel much, much more effective. These are essential new skills. And surprise, surprise, if they can go to customers equipped with the ability to have conversations about what's gone wrong on the account and how they can help fix it. So, for example, invoice errors or supply errors, that relationship with the customer is going to get closer. So you're going to have a win-win, what we call sometimes the virtuous revenue cycle, which is that the errors are taken out of the supply and invoicing and the money comes in quicker. So let's uh, take these one step at a time, because obviously there's a lot in there. Uh, and firstly, start with that conceptual aspect that you that you talked about. Uh, on occasion, we've heard Riabu members talk about the, the sales prevention officer, uh, yeah. where, the, where the CFO is uh, sometimes uh, derisively referred to as the, you know, just the bean counters. Mm. And I don't yeah, understand yeah. all of that stuff anyway. I mean, at the bare minimum, what is the understanding, the conceptual yeah. understanding that salespeople should have? That's a, that's, that's a very good question, Mark. Well, it, it, you know, the point is that everyone should basically be measured on the same things. It, you know, um, it's, uh, it's sometimes called balanced scorecard, but what you've just described is an adversarial situation which arises where you've got a finance team who are, who are measured and perhaps bonused on whether or not risk criteria are met, that bad debt is kept to a minimum, that late payments are kept to a minimum, and you've potentially got a commercial organization which is heavily measured on growth, getting those sales, and so on and so forth. Those two things at first glance look as if they might be competing with one another. And in an unhealthy organization, they do. But the reality is that in a healthy one, they don't because the two things are part of one and the same, which is proper service to the customer involves accurate transactions, the ability to have conversations with the customer when things go wrong, i.e. the salesman can talk confidently to the customer about payment issues and, and discrepancies, to be able to confidently resolve those issues or ensure that they are resolved, you know, where it's not the salesman him, him or herself, and to be able to go back and report to the customer that that issue has been resolved, thus earning kudos, particularly if it's a long-standing issue, because it shows that the salesman has the ability to reach into his own organization and deal with things that are creating problems for the customer, i.e. invoice errors, supply errors, and those kinds of things. It builds the, the salesman's kudos. It builds, his, it builds his confidence in what he's doing and his pride. So it becomes a, a key skill. So, um, but do know, they that, need to understand all the line items in a balance sheet, for example, and be able no, to explain I, why assets plus, you know, uh, and, and liabilities and, and cash flow statements and all of those sort of things? It's important that um, they have a high level understanding of what the difference between the balance sheet and the profit and loss account, or as the Americans call it, income and expenditure account is, um, because those actually those differences are, are not broadly understood outside the financial sphere. Many people don't understand 
that the balance sheet is about assets and liabilities and that the income statement is about, you know, what you spend and what you earn. Um, and those two things are both an essential part of the way that the profitability of a company is measured. They need to understand that at the conceptual level. Um, and they need the easiest way to do that is simply to illustrate it, to say, well, customer A has terms of 30 and pays in 60 and has this price. Customer B has terms of 30 and pays in 120 uh, and has this price. Uh, and then what's the difference to our bottom line? You know, and then extrapolate that. I'm a great believer in extrapolation. Extrapolate it over two to three years and say, well, there's tens of thousands of dollars at stake here, you know, based on the way that we handle this situation. Uh, so, so, so it's important to establish that there is a need to get this right, and it's not something you just made up. And, and, I, and I emphasize this, and we're talking about this quite a bit, because it, it's typically skimmed. What companies that come under cash flow pressure very often do is they leap straight to, we've got to get that money in. You know, from now on, you're not going to get your sales bonus unless everyone pay, you know, this overdue payments are minimized or everyone pays on time or whatever. And the problem with that is the salesman feels persecuted because he's not comfortable having those conversations, doesn't understand why it's an issue. And is therefore going to be very reluctant. And furthermore, when you take off the pressure, things will go back to the way they were before. So build up the conceptual case based on the belief that human beings are smart and that if you take the time to educate them, they'll understand the need for it. And then they'll embrace whatever solution you provide. Because then and only then, when you've got the conceptual basis, do they have an appetite to learn how to actually do things different. And doing things different is such fun. One of the things I enjoy. Well, it is. Well, one of the things I enjoy most about the whole sales interaction is when it starts to come alive. You know, what will happen is you have some people are more comfortable, less comfortable with the changes. There'll always be someone that kind of embraces change for the sake of it. I would call them a luminary, and you know, whoever she is or he is, listen to them go out and try these new ways of talking to the customer and come back and report success, and then it catches fire. So don't be frightened of this. You know, um, look for a luminary, test it, role play responses from customers, uh, learn how to deal with these objections as they come up. And lo and behold, you'll have a happier customer, you'll have better cash flow, you'll have better growth. So conceptually speaking, at the very least, they need to have, I suppose, finance 101. Yes, I mean it's often it's often called finance for non-financial managers, which is a bit of a clumsy title. Um, I prefer to call it something perhaps a little bit more interesting. But you know, um, it, you you've got the conceptual component, you've got the practical component, you've got the incentive, you know, the measurement component. Yes. So what, what, why does it matter conceptually? You know, how am I going to be measured on this? And crikey, uh, that's a bit of a worry. And then, okay, what specifically can I do differently, and what tools have I got to enable me? to actually succeed in this environment. And at that point, you've got to make sure that you are able to provide your account manager or salesperson with the information and tools that they need. Then these yes. are not hard, but they're important. Yeah, Indeed. And those uh, sales tools, the practical implementation is what you'll find in great depth in our book, Let the Cash Flow and at the riabu.com portal. So let's move on to the question of remuneration, that third element you've talked about, Simon. And how to then ensure that the salesman not only understands why they have to care about when the customer pays, therefore, obviously, as we've discussed, also have the tools, but that they are suitably paid for it. I mean, because as somebody who employs a salesperson, you might very well think, well, I already pay them a commission. What more do you want me to pay them? Um, well, um, you're not necessarily being asked to increase the overall quantum of variable play. 
but to change how it's allocated. Um, in other words, instead of making, say they say they have variable remuneration of 20%, so 20% of their basic pay is available to them in terms of incentive if they get certain targets, you need to include within those targets things other than top line, other than new dollars, in, including, for example, perhaps, you know, the timely payment of invoices by their key accounts, the speed with which uh, they resolve discrepancies which have been identified in the customer service process. You know, we find we've made an error or something, we haven't done something that we should have done. How quickly are those resolved? Because the salesman has a key role in that. Um, and all of that's really important. And once you measure those things, it's a really important for you as part of your overall ability to demonstrate customer service to your customer, that you do measure them. Um, it makes sense to gently incentivize the, the salesman on this. I just have a couple of cautionary words on this because I would never, never launch a new variable remuneration scheme without going through what we talked about a minute ago, which is the conceptual basis of why it's necessary. But then consider doing it slowly. So in other words, make sure that there is a degree of comfort with how can I do the things that need to be done in order to ensure I can actually tick these boxes. There's nothing worse than suddenly discovering that you're being um, assessed on something that you don't really understand and you don't know how to do. Um, so you've got to provide the op you know you've got to provide the opportunity for the specific training before you start kicking in with the changes to variable remuneration. Now, if somebody chooses not to pay any attention to the training which is offered, that's a different thing. And in fact, we heard an example of that from one of our referees when we wrote the book. If you he talked about how most of his sales force were good, but a couple of them suddenly discovered they weren't getting their bonus. Uh, and to which he said, well, we explained this. We trained you. Maybe now you'd like to pay attention to what we, to what we trained you. <laughs> because everyone else got their bonus, right? But, you know, uh, so it, but good salespeople are hard to find. Uh, so, and, and I suppose that's why you're so cautionary about this. Because I, I suppose if you are a good salesperson, and your your company then implements such a new variable bonus scheme, you might say, well, all of this is just way too hard. I'm just going to find somewhere else and a product or service that I can sell where they don't have these rules in place. That's that's certainly one risk. Um, but you know whether you want to trust your your cash flow future on salesmen who care so little for for you as an employer that they're prepared to take that view. I think you know that there is there is another view. Uh, there is another aspect of this which is tremendously important, which is this. If you actually look at the quality of your transactions, in other words, from the time that I talk to the customer, collect an order, deliver the product, produce an invoice, how clean is that? How many errors do I have in that environment? Because one of the, the ways that you can derail an initiative of this kind, I've seen this happen quite often, is if you start to put pressure on the salesman to improve the collection performance of his key, key accounts, and if he goes to the account and says, well, you know, I'm terribly sorry, I've got to ask you to pay this invoice. And the key account then says, well, the reason I haven't paid it is because A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you know, these four things that you never do right. And this other thing and this other thing, the salesman, not only is that a very toxic situation for the salesman in relationship terms, but it also means he's going to come back livid and say, you sent me out to collect this money and none of it's my fault. Right. right. Uh, so you've really got if you if you recall, as I write this in the book, I say investigate. You know, we say investigate the types of things that go wrong and make sure that you understand them and are addressing them. 
before you start um, put, putting pressure on your sales force to go in and, and, and have that hard payment discussion. So because remember, 80% of the time you don't get paid, 80% of the time you don't get paid on time is because it's something you could or should have done differently um, or something you didn't do at all. Therefore, you need to know what those things are before you start turning the screw on payments. Yes. So does that mean that you would actually turn to the salesperson and the sales force last in the process once you've implemented the Riabu methodology, once you've I, started this proactive service calls to, to check why you aren't getting paid on time? Well, if you wind this back, you know, we talked about the salesman, the importance of the salesman as an intelligence gatherer. At the very beginning of this process, when you decide internally you need to get on top of payments and you need to start introducing the virtuous revenue cycle, you're going to want to hear from the salespeople who, after all, are the people that spend most time with your customers, from the customer service team in the office who talk to the customer on the phone. You're going to want to learn from them what the things are that they know go wrong, whether they hear them from the customer over the phone or in person. So you are going to want to engage them early on. And then they're going to need to be able to see that you're doing something to resolve those issues at the same time as you're educating them in the need to take a more active role. So those two things need to happen at the same time. Finally, Simon, any words of advice for salespeople? Um, Because obviously on the Riabu podcast, we tend to take the point of view of the business owner or the CFO or the finance manager, financial controller. What uh, what sort of mindset should you approach this with if you are actually a salesperson listening to this? A sense of adventure, Mark. Like you did talk all- about it being fun. I'm still trying to get to the heart of that. <laughs> well, because you know you can go on repeating the same thing over and over again, or you could, or you can build more into it and grow. You know, a salesman who grows from I just want to sell you stuff. You know, I want I sold you five boxes last week. I want to sell you six boxes this week. From that to You know, I understand the dynamics of profitability and I understand your needs as a customer. And I want to understand your needs better so that I can not just sell you more, but ensure that you get better value out of the goods and services that we're able to provide. Um, So you have an eye both to the satisfaction of the customer and by understanding how the balance sheet works to the importance of profitability internally. Um, I'm talking to a a business leader at the moment who just took a, a, a new job. Uh, leading a regional business. And one of his concerns is that his country managers are overwhelmingly sales focused. They've been put under pressure to achieve dramatic objectives in terms of growth. And they unfortunately have COVID issues to deal with, but they're not profit responsible or profit aware in the way that he would like. In other words, they don't understand the dynamics of the things that we've talked about on this podcast, which is why do slight differences in pricing? Why do slight differences in payment terms? Why do differences in the way that we deal with our customers transactionally and and interact with them when it comes to service issues and late payment? Why do these things actually matter to the overall profitability of the company? And what can I do to play my part in this? I think it's, I think it's a, a huge opportunity for a salesperson to grow. And by the way, it's an opportunity if you want to go from being a salesperson to being a sales manager and then being a commercial director or even move into another part of the company and become, say, a general manager, you are going to be profit responsible. So these are pretty important things to learn. I would not sneeze at them. I would welcome the opportunity. And we welcome the opportunity to hear from you as well. Service at Riyabu.com is the email address if you'd like to share your story, either from the sales or sales manager perspective. And, of course, there's the Riyabu portal, Riyabu.com, and Let the Cash Flow, published by Marshall Cavendish, available now at Amazon.sg and GoGuru. Thanks, Simon.